scriptures. Not a lot of scriptures in the booth, but I'm only going to read from 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy to start the service today. And then we'll just kind of feel our way through this. Because when I ask you to stand here in a moment, because it is our tradition to do so, I don't want to keep you standing for the entirety of the reading of these other passages today. But if you have found, when you find 1 Timothy chapter number 4, we're going to read verses 4 through 16, and then we're going to read out of 2 Timothy for about 7 to 9 verses, somewhere in there. So when you find 1 Timothy 4, would y'all stand in the honor of the reading of Scripture today? I can't tell you how privileged I feel to have this opportunity. Man, to come up behind uh, Jace first, and then Jojo, and to see the anointing of God upon their lives, and to see them minister and hear them minister the Word of God through exhortation, I feel privileged uh, to, to, to connect and to follow uh, behind them. Here in the 14th verse, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, these are what's known as the, uh, the pastoral epistles, Paul's writing, speaks to his young protege in the Lord who he was responsible for mentoring, and he knows per- Timothy's own weaknesses and issues that he struggles with personally. We see that in the personal applications that are uh, spoken of throughout both this epistle and the later epistle that we're going to read from in a moment. And so here Paul is encouraging Timothy and his pastoral responsibilities to neglect not the gift that is in thee. Certainly there was something supernatural at work in the life of young Timothy. I preached last week about the anointing that abides within and the anointing that is upon you. And uh, that gift, it has to be maintained. If you neglect it, and there can come a moment in time when you try to lean upon it and you're not familiar with it. It's not fresh to you. It's not been built up. It's like an instrument that you leave an instrument out in the rain and allow it to rain to corrode it and to rust to build up. And then when you go out to get it, it's going to have to be relubricated. Come on. To be functional again. So Paul's exhorting Timothy, don't neglect the gift that's in you. It was given to you by what? By prophecy. We'll talk about that in a moment, including the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. So obviously, Paul is saying at the moment that the presbytery, what is presbytery, Pastor Brown? That's the board or the body of elders, leaders. It's not the body, but it's a it's the group of the leaders in the body, preachers and those with the apostolic calling. See, they've laid hands on Timothy, and as they did, they prophesied, and as they spoke prophetically, a gift of God was released in his life. He then tells Timothy to meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them. For that thy progress or thy profiting may appear to all. When you exercise the gift that's inside you, there will be a progression of your faith and a development of your faith, and it will become apparent to those that are being ministered to by your gifting. Thus, as I'm just mentioning very quickly, Joe and and Jace behind uh, that I'm following behind today. It's uh, if you've been here from the beginning, if you've watched uh, young men in our church family grow and mature in their ministry ability, you can say their progress is seen by all. Come on. Right, That gift begins to be sharpened, and it begins to become more effectual. Take heed to yourself, he said, and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. So we turn the page, and we don't know, I can't give you the exact time, space that is between this first epistle to the second epistle, but Paul now is writing, I believe, from a Roman prison to Timothy and giving him encouragement. And certainly the latter part of this epistle deals with Paul's own personal trauma and, and the challenges that he goes through as he's requesting Timothy to come unto him. But as he begins the epistle, he's addressing some of the things that Timothy deals with privately. Let me tell you about people that are in apostolic callings. What I mean by that is in the five-fold ministry of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. They may have an S on their chest when they stand in front of you, but you don't always see their struggle. 
They may be the person that God uses to pray you through a very difficult season in your life, but you don't get to see them at times when they're at home alone with nobody to encourage them. When they, when, they, when they deal with some of the very same things that you may find yourself. And Paul's aware of what Timothy deals with. So he said this. He said, I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God. So he first wrote that don't be negligent. Don't, ne- don't neglect the gift. But if you neglect that gift, you definitely got to stir that gift up. But even if you don't neglect it, you got to keep it stirred up. Come on. And so he says, stir up the gift of God. It's in thee by the putting on of my hands. So that body of presbyteries that was mentioned previously included the apostle Paul. And so he said, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Everybody said amen to that. But let's read just a little bit farther because it captures something that I want to address if we can. We're going to read through verse 14, so that's only seven additional verses. He said, do not be therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, But be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So by serving God does not mean that you are going to be excluded from all affliction, correct? So it's actually partaking in the gospel. But notice what he said here. Paul's addressing something I'm going to allude to in a moment. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Pay attention to these words because I'm going to come right back to them in just a moment after we pray. But it is now made manifest by the appearing of of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and mortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am, uh, the Apostle Paul, appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For For the which cause I also suffer these things, and nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Notice this as we conclude. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. I like that. Let's read that one more time. That good thing that was committed unto thee. God's committed something unto us. We have a sacred calling, not just us preachers, but every person that's called of God, you have a sacred calling. There's been something, God's put treasure in an earthen vessel, right? And you've got something inside of you. The scripture says, keep it by the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, the world is waiting to see a body of believers that are anointed with the sweet fragrance of a living Christ to make a difference in the lives of men and women. And so today I want to talk to you about stirring up the gift of God. Or you could say agitating the gift of God, but stirring up the gift of God today. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we're grateful for this privileged moment. And it's been spoken by both two ministers on the platform before me. We're going to continue in worship, Father, as we've given our worship in song. We've given our worship through our offering, Father. But now we give our, uh, Father God, our worship and our attention and our response to the Word of God. We readily receive of the Word of God today. We thank you that there will be an anointing to minister both of the Father to the listener, but also to the speaker, God, in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. I want to take just a moment to, if I can, tap into the message last week about the anointing that destroys the yoke. And that was what I was ministering from, from the context that there's an indwelling anointing and there's an external anointing. Many times in the Pentecostal charismatic movement, our emphasis 
uh, we find ourselves focusing upon that empowering work of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do things that we cannot ordinarily do as we minister to other people. But the, the point of reference I was making last week, there's an indwelling Holy Spirit. There's an indwelling anointing. The word anointing in Scripture typically means to be rubbed or smeared with oil or to paint on. I was addressing a passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, where it says, The yoke shall be destroyed by the anointing. That particular word was fatness. And the point of reference, you may remember if you were not here, point of reference, though, was that there were the bull that is being yoked together with perhaps something that he doesn't want to be yoked to in the metaphor, the scriptural context was that if the, if the bull or the oxen grows fat, which means grows strong, then it won't require an external source to break the yoke, but rather as he grows internally strong, he can bow up under the power from within and in doing so break the yoke. Does anybody remember that message? And so, and I hope that you begin to do that and recognize it. You, that what, what I'm saying is you have to agitate the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Any of you have ever been around a fire that's gone out or almost and you find just a little bit of coals? The actual word stir up there that Paul used in our scriptural text was stir up the gift of God. It actually means to inflame. To, so every one of you have either had a campfire, you've had a fire in your stove, and you've got up the next morning, there was just, just a little bit of coals that were under the ashes. And you know what you did? You removed the ashes. You removed a little bit of the wooden fragments, and you got the hot coals, and you begin to blow on it. And you would fan the flame. That's what some translations actually say, fan the flame in stirring up the gift of God. The point I want to bring to you today is, is, as I'm trying to begin to take us into some of the deeper things related to the work of the Holy Spirit, I want you as a believer in Christ Jesus to understand that there has been a precious thing committed unto you, the gift of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we can find, and sometimes the Bible does not clarify between the gift of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have to allow the context. I was writing this down in some of my notes and I was reminded of several passages that were the scriptural references, the gift of the Holy Spirit, or the gifts of the Spirit, or the, re or the reference to the gift, or the gifts, or the gift of God. The reality is this. You and I did not deserve what we now possess. If you and I are genuinely born again, let me tell you today, the power and the life of God dwells on the inside of you. Right? The power, eternal life is not something you are yet to possess. Eternal life is something that you now possess. I just did a memorial service on Friday night right here, and the promise remains the same. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord, right? And so there's something living on the inside of us that cannot die. Come on, somebody, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God in our life is the very power that we learn to trust, we learn to believe in, we learn to follow, we learn to listen for His voice. We learn to know when we grieve the Spirit within us, the Spirit of God. We learn when we quench the Spirit of God. It's a, it's a process of development in our relationship with God, our communion with God. One of the points that I put down here just very quickly, the purpose of the anointing. Oftentimes we use this term anointing because that's the smearing on or the rubbing on or the empowering moment of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the anointing is this, consecration first. What does that mean? Empowerment second. What is consecration? Set apart. If only the people of God would realize that you did not choose God, but he chose you. It would change your entire way of living. It would change your perspective. It would change the reason why you get up in the morning. 
It would change the reason why you won't let depression bog you down. It's the reason why, yeah, you can see some bad things going on in the news. Yes, absolutely. There's always a darkness. But you will realize that you are light in the world. Right? You will realize that God chose you to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. When you see that and you begin to understand that, that God called you and he saved you. As a matter of fact, in that second epistle that the apostle is writing to Timothy, I wanted to note this particular passage here in the latter portions there around the 10th the ninth and 10th verse, if I may go back to this. As Paul is addressing this to Timothy, he's not just speaking to Timothy. This is not belonging entirely to those that walk in what we call the apostolic offices. These, this is for all of us that are called of God. Let's listen to what he said here in the ninth verse. Who has saved us? I don't know about you, but I am saved today. Saved from, I'm saved from wrath. I believe in the wrath of God. I believe the wrath of God's been exhibited at least three times on the known world. It's been exhibited twice, will be exhibited one more time, or demonstrated one more time. First, it was demonstrated uh, at, at the flood of Noah, when God flooded the entire world. But now he holds everything according to a promise that he won't flood the world again. It was demonstrated the second time upon the cross of Calvary. It was there that God vindicated his wrath and anger upon the person of Jesus Christ. Was God angry at Jesus? No, but he was angry at sin. But he placed upon Jesus the sin of all men. And he punished Jesus in our stead. Come on. And so as a result of that, uh, him inflicting that punishment, if you and I are saved, then we are not under the wrath of God. But the Bible says that those that are unsaved, the wrath of God abideth upon them. There is coming a wrath of God. There's coming a day of God's judgment. Every man will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will give account of ourselves to God, the things that have been done in this body. That's plain scripture. You can read it and study it out on your own. But I thank God today that I recognize, though I have a deep-seated reverence for God, I'm not under the wrath of God. I have nothing restricting my communion with the Father. Right? I don't see God uh, as, as vindictive or angry at me. I see God as loving and merciful I do because I come to him through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So therefore, I am saved. I'm not waiting to get saved. I'm not hoping to be saved. I am, I am saved. Isn't that what the word says? God who has saved us. And look what he did. And he called us. Ninth verse. He called us what? He called us with what? With a holy calling. So when you're called of God and you recognize this, God is holy. And his people are holy. And God's calling invokes within us a need to consecrate and separate our lives from the filth of this world. The Bible talks and uses the language, the filth of this world. It talks about the, the off-scouring of the world. The world's a dirty place. There are dirty things. And, and it's always trying to... to, to, to to cause the children of God to, to get pulled into the, you know, the apostle Peter warned of the sow that was washed, returning to wallowing in the mire. But you and I, when we know that we've been saved with a holy calling, then we begin to live a different life. The life that was then is no longer the life that is now. Right, because I'm being sanctified on a daily basis. Yes, I am sanctified instantaneously through the redemptive work of Jesus. Pastor Brown, you're using that biblical language I'm not familiar with. Sanctified means I'm being set apart. 
I'm being consecrated. How many of you, when you have an instrument in your home that is a precious instrument or, or even an instrument used or utensil used for cooking, you don't want to cook in a dirty vessel, right? You want it washed and clean. How many of you know God wants our lives washed and clean? God put upon us that we are vessels to be used. Paul said you are called and you've got a holy calling. But this holy calling wasn't according to your works. But notice this, it was according to his own purpose and grace. And it was given to us in Christ Jesus. For the latter 20 years we've seen begin to rise up in the body of Christ. An emphasis on people discovering their purpose. Then we find the conflict within the church. Some see those that are purpose driven. Thus the book that was written, the purpose driven life. Some oppose it. Some are overbearing with it. And somewhere we find that the truth typically hangs somewhere near the middle. And so with this, I want you to know in the context of purpose, purpose is a powerful revelation in your life. That when you discover that when God, before the beginning of the world, had already saw you, he already knew you, he already saved you, he already redeemed you, he already called you, he already set you apart, he already consecrated you, he already put a divine purpose inside you that you would live differently from those that are around you. He would use you to be a bright and a shining light that every day you could get up and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. When I walk out of the doors of my home, I'm going to have a smile on my my face and joy in my heart. The world sits in darkness, but I got light shining on the inside of me, and I'm going to shine that light. Come on, that'll give you hope every day. Every day, you say, I've got a purpose in God. I've discovered. Now, Paul, now in the context of purpose, then we have calling. And in the context of calling, we have both roles and responsibilities. And the apostle here, he looks at the one person he's the most familiar with which is not Timothy. He's familiar with Timothy to a degree, but the person that you really know the most about is the person that you were struggling with to get ready this morning. And it wasn't your spouse. It was the mirror. That's the person that you really know. That's the person that you are really the most familiar with. So in Paul affirming the call of God in Timothy, Paul said, let me tell you about the call of God in my own life. Because he said this, he said, wherefore I am appointed a preacher. I'm appointed a preacher. That's where it first starts in the context of apostolic ministry, of preaching, a declaration of truth. To preach is simply to announce. Many of us are preachers whether or not we know it or not. Y'all call me many times preacher or Rev or Leroy, Leotis, whatever. It's all good to me. Paul said, I'm a preacher. I tell the truth. I preach the gospel. I evangelize. But then he began to narrow it just a little bit. He said, not only am I a preacher, I'm an apostle. An apostle is a messenger or a sent one. In this context, he was distinguishing himself from the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher that he would write about in the book of Ephesians. Paul is an apostle, but not just any apostle. He's a foundational apostle akin to the 12 that walked with Jesus. And also, as in his apostolic ministry, he's an apostle not to the Jew, though he would become whatever he could to the Jew to win the Jew. But he said, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. Here he said, I'm a teacher of the Gentiles. What does that mean? 
The word Gentile means the nations. So the Jewish people had been given a mandate by God to illuminate the nations. To a degree they failed. Jesus fulfilled the role and the responsibility. And from his ministry, they continued to light a light to the nations. And he lights that light through the church, which is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. But the Apostle Paul, if you're familiar with the book of Galatians, says that both James and Peter would go to the, Gen- or to the Jews, but he would go to the Gentiles. So he knew himself. He said, I'm an apostle, and I'm a teacher of the Gentiles, and I'm a preacher. Pastor, why is this so important? Why are you addressing it? Because you've got to know yourself. You've got to know your calling. That's why you might struggle with a, a downcast spirit. That's why you might struggle with depression at times. Uh, because you don't really, you may ask, why am I here? Well, take the time to seek God. Take the time to inventory your life. Take time to ask and to work this thing out. It's not always easy. You have to flesh these things out. It's God called my life, so I'm going to allude to something else. The apostle recognized his own calling, and he used that to teach Timothy. The person I'm the most familiar with is Pastor Brown. Now, let me tell you, Pastor Brown, in the early days of his pulpit ministry, I believed that I was an evangelist. An evangelist in the era that I first began to preach in was the ministers that would come in and hold revivals. We might call them revivalists. That's where they would take the microphone like I am. I wore out my very first Bible. It's in my office. It's been taped and retaped together because I would shake it as I preached. I'd hold it up and I'd shake that thing until I began to separate leather from paper. Because that was the mode of ministry in those days. And we would preach hard. And we all had a pair of suspenders. And we wore white shirts underneath our suit. And a lot of people waved hankies. And that's just the way we preached. And we bore down on it. I thought I was an evangelist. The problem was, is that an evangelist is somebody that leads people to Jesus. And I found myself not, getting, not reaching folk. How can you be an evangelist and, and people are just trickling in? But then one day, Pastor Burton gave me the responsibility of teaching a Sunday school class. And I really didn't want to teach that Sunday school class because I felt confined in that class with the lectern or the board behind me. But I began to discover something along the journey that deep inside of me, maybe I didn't want to be a Sunday school teacher because maybe I didn't feel educated enough to be so. But all of a sudden, inside of me, because of a prayer that I began to pray when I was 17, Pastor, what is that? Ephesians 1 and 17, and the Apostle Paul prayed for the, uh, the people at Ephesus that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of their understanding would become enlightened and they would know the hope of His calling and the riches of the glorious inheritance that they have in Christ Jesus. And I began to pray that from a young man, and I began to pray, God, open Open my eye, open my ear, open my heart. Let me learn and all my getting. Let me get understanding. Teach me, oh God. And I saw that passage that I preached last week, 1 John 2 and 27. I said, God, here's the word of God says, there's an anointing that abides within me. I said, God, I, for whatever reason, I don't feel led to go to a Bible college. But God, I know I can get alone and I can agitate the anointing that's on the inside of me. And if I stir that gift up in prayer efficiently and effectively enough, then the same teacher that taught the apostles and the same teacher that taught the great pastors and preachers of old, that same spirit will guide me into all truth. I'm just telling you, and so when I've got the role and responsibility of being a Sunday school teacher, all of a sudden I said, my God, there's a teacher locked up inside me. And then I began to think about being a pastor. Pastor. 
And I wrestled with that just a little bit. Because being a pastor is being a shepherd. Being a pastor is being the hub of a lot of folks. And I'm just like many in this room. I was raised up here in the hill country. That means I can live with you. And I can live without you. That means don't call me to mow your grass if you're laying up in there in the bed. I'll be as, I'll do whatever I need to do when you have need. Come on, that's the way hill country folk are, aren't they? We'll help you when you have need, but we won't help you do what you can do yourself. So I struggled with just that a little bit because I, I had to adapt and wrestle that thing out. But then I began to uh, realize that there was genuine compassion for the people of God. There was genuine compassion to see people learn and grow and mature and develop in their faith. And I had to flesh this out and I had to learn. And I had to learn to say no along the way. That was hard because many times the expectations put upon pastoral ministry is that we are at people's beckoning call. And I've learned to thank God for caller ID. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. If I don't see that name flash up on there, I am not answering it, number one. And number two, I may not answer it even then. But I will try my best to call you back. But that expectation, that was weighing on me, and I had to die to it. I had to accept it in order to walk in the role of the responsibility of the call that God had put upon my life. And now to this day, I have learned and now I'm so contented with being a shepherd. Now the thing that I used to be fearful of, the thing that I used to kind of hold off at arm's length is the thing that I will readily and quickly embrace because I recognize that's what I was anointed to do and that's what I was called to do. That's why I can marry you and bury you. Come on, with a smile on my face because we'll live life together. We'll do life together and we'll grow and mature because the Bible says we are being fitly framed together, becoming a house that welcomes the presence of the living God among us. And so I thank God for it. And then I found inventory on my own life. I'm not a prophet, but I can prophesy. You understand what I mean by that? Some of you say, well, I don't, Pastor Brown, understand what you mean by that. A prophet is an office that people function in and sit in and cast vision and speak to things in the church. And they often foretell events or foretell events that are yet in the future. But that doesn't mean that, that, that all prophesying makes you a prophet. Some of you will go home and watch the NCAA tournament today. And then you might even feel froggy and go out in the backyard and play basketball like you did of old. How many know you can play basketball but not be a basketball player? You can prophesy and not be a prophet. Are y'all catching what I'm saying? And so I can prophesy. So I learn. And so now, now I guard that gift. Now I agitate it. I stir it up. And I pray over it. And I say, Father, you've called me to be a pastor, so let me love the people of God. When I walked out this, my office this morning after prayer, you know what my prayer was? I said, Father, the people need a shepherd. I didn't say, God, they need an evangelist. Jesus didn't say they need an evangelist. He said, the sheep, they need a shepherd, God. And then I prayed, Father, put something inside of me that I can equip the saints of God, that I can put something in them that's going to help them discover their calling, that will help them know that, that you've been called with a holy calling. You've been called of God. You've been called to do the things that God has placed in front of you. And there's some things that I want to show you today that will help you in understanding. Discovering your purpose and knowing that your calling is such a freeing thing in your life. 
Well, y'all didn't really catch that one because without it, you'll always be trying to satisfy somebody else's expectations. But when you know that you've been called of God to do this and it's been validated by other people of spiritual reputation, such as what Paul is referencing with Timothy, Paul's reminding Timothy of his calling. If we had read 1 Timothy 1 and 18, he said this, My son Timothy, according to the prophecies that went before concerning thee, by these thou mayest wage a good warfare. In the second passage there, Paul said, Stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you by the laying on of my hands. In 1 Timothy 4, he said, Neglect the, not the gift of God that's in thee by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery accompanied by prophecy. So what if we put that together, the apostle was a part of the presbytery that laid hands on Timothy and when they laid hands on Timothy somebody in the group of leaders had a prophetic word and when they spoke the prophetic word they spoke it into Timothy and it awakened the gift of God that's on the inside of Timothy it dropped down that gift inside him and Timothy heard it he began to develop it and that's why Paul told Timothy he said give yourself wholly to these things don't church family you know what you're going to do you're going to neglect it if you don't realize your calling then what's going to happen life is going to pass you by how many of you have ever driven by the fields farm equipment sitting out there rusted over been there unmoved for year after year after year it's a testimony and a testament to what happened previously with the instrument but it's not what happening presently I don't know about you, I don't want my testimony to be about what I used to be. I don't want my testimony to be about what I used to do. I don't want to spend all my time dialoguing with you, telling you about my experiences of days gone by. But I want to have a fresh anointing in my life so that when we gather together, my gift can sharpen your gift Come on now, Paul told uh, the church at Rome, I've spoken this many times to you. He said, when I come to you, he said, I long to speak to you and to see you that when I'm there, I will impart a spiritual gift uh, that you may be established. That's the 11th verse of Romans 1. The 12th verse is this. He says, that is, to this end, he said, that I may be encouraged, that we may be encouraged by the mutual faith of both you and me. How I many you know when the people of God get together in a building like this that my gift ought to agitate your gift? Oh, now let me go a little bit farther. Y'all aren't catching what I'm saying. Would y'all go out there with me a little bit for a moment? It'll help me. It'll help you as well. See, if you recognize you're gifted, you're going to come into, and your giftings, you're going to come to this house with those giftings stirred up because you want your giftings to help stir up somebody else's gift. You'll give of your gift and you'll receive of their gift. Last week I preached that message and after I visited and we had prayer time, I was walking out. Me and Dr. Brassfield were visiting. We're always privileged when he and Sister Kathy are in services with us. And so he was sharing with me about the, you know, a part of the message and what the Lord had written or spoke to him. And he had written it down and he's writing it and he actually put it on his phone and I read part of it. And I was just like, Dr. Brass, could you not just text that to me, please? The very thing that I'm preaching about, he's taking, God's putting it in his spirit, and he's written it down, and I'm reading it, I'm going, my goodness. In the middle of my message, I'd just love to get a little ding, because that would have been perfect to have added right there. 
Dr. B, could you not just text it to me and let me say, here, by the way, here's the addendum to the message. But you know what that did for me, actually, what it does? You know what that does? That means my gift is at work. Because I know he's got a gift. I know he's got an apostolic uh, gift of leadership and also of teaching. And so when an apostolic leader says that while while you're teaching, I'm getting this, that means my gift has been fanned to flame, and he's feeling the heat of it. Come on, somebody. And he's being warmed up and is stirring his gift on the inside of him. And so your gift can be agitated by the gift of someone else. And I want to encourage, that's why we come to the house of God, to provoke one another. That's not always a bad thing. To provoke one another to love and to good works. So we get in the people of God and somebody else gets on fire, stirred up. Their gift begins to transcend and move throughout the body and it stirs me up in my spirit. Are y'all with me out there? Thank God for the giftings of God. Paul's writing to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, he said, you got a holy calling on your life. That good thing that was given to thee by the Holy Ghost. He said, keep that thing. Don't neglect it, protect it, agitate it, stir it up. Let me tell you, church family, you're not just flesh and blood. i got to just keep bearing down on that for just a moment. I don't know if we in the body of Christ today realize of the potential that lies on the inside of us. I'm not talking about in us as in particular to the human being. This is not humanism today. I'm talking about those that are genuinely born again. If you're genuinely born again, I said it last week, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. And he will quicken your mortal body. The power and the life of God that went into the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and found the cold, lifeless body of Yeshua of Nazareth, three days dead, crucified at the hands of Pontius Pilate, a stone rolled in front, sealed by the signet ring, and no man could penetrate inside the tomb. But the invisible power of an omnipotent God passed through rock and granite and entered into that hallowed place and found there the lifeless body and the anointing that had lit upon him uh, in the Jordan River now surges on the inside of him and the son of God opens his eyes uh, as the resurrected uh, Lord and Savior over mankind and I want you to know that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells on the inside of you flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God but we are not flesh and blood we got the life of God dwelling on the inside of us the potency, the power and the potential of God is inside of us no wonder Paul said in Ephesians God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that is at work where it's at work where it's at work where it's at work in you to the glory of God that's why you got to stir it up that's why you'll sit in your house at home in the cold darkened winter with the old remember the old uh, cast iron wood stoves what are they called pot belly wood stove man that thing will run you out of there won't it but if you've got one and you've got wood and you're sitting there frigid I'm going to tell you the problem lies with you and because you've got the potential for fire. But you've got to have it lit and you've got to maintain it 
and you got to stir it up and you got to agitate it. And when it burns down, you got to put fresh fuel on it. And when there's ashes gathered up, you got to discard them. You got to keep it clean. Come on, somebody. You got to keep your spirit clean when you've been watching too much junk and listening too much filth and people been talking all around you. Your spirit is suppressed. You got to get along with God. You got to shake things off. You got to say, God, I want to stir things up. Say, Pastor, I don't feel like praising. I'm going to praise Him anyhow. I don't feel like praying. I'm going to pray when I don't feel like it because I'm going to stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of me because it's the life of God flowing through me that's going to make a difference in my my life and in the world. Agitate the anointing of God. Don't live your life downcast, disheartened, having no purpose and have no value. Let me tell you just real quickly as I transition in closing today by alluding to someone that's very familiar with this in Scripture to see if this can help. So you can agitate the anointing within, and then there are times somebody else's gift can agitate your anointing or stir it up. Is that right? No doubt about it. You can do it through prayer, prophesying, praying. You build up your most holy faith as you pray in the Holy Ghost. I just love That's why I'm a King James man. I'm sorry because it's poetic. Jude verse number 20, building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. I don't know what some new version might say like that. I mean, get a little bit happy in the Lord. I don't know that's what it might say, but that's not what the King James says. Building up your most holy faith as you pray in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit of God. I built up my most holy faith. And so purpose is tied to calling. And calling comes from us being recognized that he called us and saved us with a holy calling. And it changes every part of your life. Does it not, church family? When you see and you know the anointing inside you, there's a lot of emphasis in Pentecostalism about baptism in spirit and speaking in other tongues. And I don't want to take away from any of that because, you know, I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I speak in, more, in tongues more than you all. I want to be that person. But at the same time, I don't want to leave people that haven't received that experience in a place where they feel like they don't have a purpose or a calling or an empowerment because that is not the case. That is simply not the case. You can still agitate your anointing. Even if you don't speak in other tongues, and you say, well, Pastor, isn't that the prayer language and where I can pray in the Spirit? Yes, absolutely. And I believe that you can. I believe you will. I will never be that negative person. I will never tell you that you won't. I will never tell you it's not for you. I will always encourage you. Yes, yes, yes. All the promises of God are yes and amen. But you don't have to sit there idle while you're waiting to be able to speak in another language that you don't know when you do have a language that you do know that you can pray and talk to God and build your faith before the Lord. And so we all have a calling, and we have to understand that, yes, sometimes there are what we deem, what we deem, I say this very respectfully, what we deem to be more significant than others, but that doesn't mean God deems them more significant than others. But let me say this, even in that context, if you are in a role or you have a calling that we may or you may think it's not as significant as someone else's calling. That does not mean in any capacity that you are insignificant. And it will not happen as a whole if we all don't exercise our spiritual giftings and callings. The church will always be anemic and always be limited and will never be fully the city set on a hill if you don't discover your calling, if you don't begin to exercise your call. 
if you don't recognize it. And it's all different from men to women to married to unmarried. I only alluded to what I knew, which was me. But you got to take inventory of your own life. You're waiting on somebody to come along and tell you. There are times God does give you a prophetic word. But there are other times that you got to flesh things out. you got to lay before God. you got to reason some things and ask. And I do believe that if you stay in the environment long enough, a prophetic word will be spoken that can help you along the way. Let me tell you in closing today about a significant moment when what else, three things that can agitate the anointing in your life. Number one, you can stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Number two, somebody else's gift can stir the gift inside you. Number three, need can stir up the gift inside you. A need that's laying dormant that you never heard about it before until your anointing came in contact with that need. Let me take you into it just a moment if I can and close. I feel like preaching in this house today. If that's all right, I want to finish this up today in my spirit. I'm not preaching tonight. Maybe Caleb, something will rub off on Caleb. He'll go up to Shirley and preach like a wild man, Shane. Shane, uh, Caleb, go up there and work on, mm, yay, come on, somebody. We'll just wait and see what happens, won't we? The Bible tells us of a significant moment in the history of ancient Israel, closing with this last story, where this story carries in it a passage of Scripture that God can use to lighten your own calling. To teach you where to find it and discover it. To help you as an individual discover that this is that which God has called me to do. And Saul, the first king of Israel, had fallen prey to pride and trusting in himself. And afraid to speak out and to speak up and obey God. The Bible tells us that Samuel the prophet came to him and said, The kingdom's been rent from your hands and given to another. Nobody knew who that other was. And only the people that heard the prophecy would have even had the firsthand information that there was a prophetic word that said that which was first placed in you, Saul, because you neglected it and abused it and misused it. God said, and that's why you got to guard these gifts. Come on. you got to protect the things inside you. God said, I'm going to take it because i got somebody over here that I'm going to put it on. And then they're not going to they're not going to uh, abuse it the way that you did. And you say, well, man, that's that sounds right. So who was that? Well, then the Bible says that the Lord told Samuel, stop pouting for Saul. Samuel was pouting. He was grieved over it because Saul had great abilities and giftings and and he stood head and shoulders. He was a man's man. All the things that you would hope for to be a king. But the Bible says that Samuel said, I want you to stop. Let him go. He's done. He had his moment. His moments passed. He he said, but I've got somebody else out there that I've got an anointing for. And he said, I want you to fill your horn of oil and I want you to go to to Bethlehem because I have chosen chosen one of the sons of Jesse to be my next king. And so Samuel did as the as the father said, he took the horn, he filled with that consecrated sacred anointing that was used to set people apart, which is representative of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. And he went to the uh, to Bethlehem to, and they said, "Well, we're going to have a feast." But he said, "But we're not going to have a feast until I finish my work first." And he called for Jesse and he said, "Bring me your son 
sons. Jesse had no idea what was going on. And the Bible says that he brought his first son. His first son was made like unto Saul. He was tall. He was handsome. He was gifted. He stood out. As soon as Samuel saw him, he said, that's got to be the one. And the Bible says the Lord quickened in his heart and said, you're looking on the outside, but I'm looking on the inside. And he said, that's not the one. And so he said, well, do you have another? Number two son comes along. And then three and four and five and six. And none of these sons are the ones that are chosen. And finally, the Bible says that Samuel said, is there not another somewhere in this mixture along the way? And he said, well, I got another little boy. He's a young lad. He's out in the sheepfold. And he said, well, we're not going to sit down to I see him. And so they go and send word for David who's keeping his father's sheep. And when the man of God laid eyes on the little lad, the Bible says he was ruddy and of a beautiful countenance. But the Spirit of God agitated the gift of God inside of Samuel and said, Arise and anoint him, for he is the one. And in the midst of his brothers, outside the walled city of Bethlehem, there, just three or four miles south of Jerusalem, the Bible says that David was anointed in the midst of his brothers. And when he was anointed in the midst of his brothers, the Bible says that the Spirit of God came upon David from that day forward. But let me tell you what God did with the man that he just anointed to be the king of Israel. He sent him back to the sheepfold to a very insignificant task to prove the value and the virtue of the anointing that was now in him and upon him. And that's why you've got to recognize, church family, what you think is insignificant. You may have been anointed for that moment. Let's go a little bit farther. Well, then he was chosen because Saul was troubled about, can I preach on today just a little bit? You know, I've got life groups tonight. I know people are getting hungry, and I know you got ball games to go to, and I watch all TV and all that. But I'll tell you what, i got a word in my heart. I want to finish it. If you all stay with me, I believe that I can help you today if you'll let me just finish this word and finish strong. And so the scripture says that Saul is now being tormented by evil spirits. And being tormented by evil spirits, he said, the people around him said, you know what, somebody that has the ability to play an instrument effectually, he said, with a gift and a calling could help Saul. So they called for David, and David is now standing somewhere near the corridors of the room that houses the king, who one day he's going to take his throne, and he's playing the instrument with the gift of God that's on the inside of him and the anointing of God upon him. And everybody else played instruments and Saul was still tormented. That's why there's a difference between being gifted and being anointed. But when David got the harp in his hand, he played the same song that somebody else played, but he had an anointing that the other person didn't have. And now the anointing in him begins to drive away the demons that are troubling Saul. So the Spirit of God is now beginning to work in David. But then war happens, or the potential for war happens. And the Philistines come against Israel, and they gather a host. Saul has to take his armies to the war. I told my daughter Alyssa, when she was going through some accusations in the enemy and different things, I said, Alyssa, the reason why the enemy stirred up is because you got an anointing on your life. Because we don't have any biblical record of Goliath 
until David's anointed. And because he was anointed, it began to agitate the demons around him. And when you see that, that's when you won't run from the battle, but you'll run to the battle because that's why they're there. They're there because God said, I need you to be a conquering uh, a man of God or a woman of God because we're going to cast a testimony through your victory. So just a little bit farther. So they go to war. David goes back to keeping his father's sheep. You can just see him just kicking the dirt, aggravated, frustrated. Men are going to war for 40 days. Goliath is coming down the mountain shouting accusations, shouting accusations, shouting accusations. Nobody will even fight. But there is a warrior in training. But you know where he's at? He's not there with the warriors at the Valley of Ella. He's back at the sheepfold. And he's like, man, I've got an anointing, but I don't really know what that means. Maybe I'd be a warrior. And one day while he's watching a sheep, all of a sudden out of the shadows jumps a bear. And when that bear came out, he, uh, something rose up on the inside of David. David didn't have a sword. He didn't have a shield. He didn't have a bow and arrow, but he had an anointing. And he rose up, and like a madman in the field, he's chasing after a bear who's got one of his father's sheep barehanded. And he delivers the, the sheep and kills the bear. And he's on his way back to the sheepfold when a lion jumps out. That may be describing your life right now. You get through one attack and right around the corner is another attack. And you've been wondering why it's happening. It may be because you're anointed and God's got a holy calling and he's got a divine purpose. And now that you're beginning to recognize it, that anointing's in you is going to keep you in the trial that you're going through right now. But it's going to set you up for a destiny that's in front of you that's going to cast who you are in God and in Christ Jesus. And the glory of God's going to be manifested through your life. And so now he fights the lion, and he kills the lion. And then he hears a call. says, Dad, send a runner. Come back to the house. He comes back. I want you to take bread, cheese, and wine. And I want you to go to the battle. Let's see what's going on. They didn't have a clue what was going on. Are the boys alive? Have we beat the Philistines? He didn't know about Goliath. So David, with a carriage and a keeper, makes the journey from Bethlehem to the valley of Ella where Israel's camped. I just feel Jesus in here today. I believe God's using my gift to help some of you to know you've got a holy calling. He saved you. That what it said, Dr. Brassfield? He saved us and he called us, not according to our purpose, but according to his purpose. No matter what role you're in, no matter what position you're in, it's significant in the eyes of God. If you're anointed to do it, then you're just exactly that. You're anointed. I'm anointed to preach. That's the call God's put on my life. You can't do what I do, but I cannot do what you do. But we all recognize we have a call of God in our lives. And it takes everybody stirring up the gift of God, walking in the calling of God to accomplish the purpose of God. Man, that's good right there. And so with cheese, not with... <laughs> You'd think if I'm going to the battle, load this chariot down. I need some missiles, and I need, come on, I need something. And so David is heading down, and when he gets there, about the time he unloads and distributes the bread, the cheese, and the wine, that's about the time that Goliath starts making his way down to the valley. And David, 1 Samuel 17, don't forget this verse. 
verse number 23, said that Goliath, I can't quote it, but I can paraphrase it, that Goliath came and repeated the words that he had said for many days. It's there on the screen. But notice those last four words right there. And David heard them. The other people had heard it for 40 days. The other trained soldiers, the other trained armsmen, the other trained swordsmen had heard it for 40 days and did nothing about it. But a little shepherd boy under the anointing of God heard the accusations of Goliath. And when he heard those words, it agitated the gift of God that was on the inside of him. And he rose up. And before the day was out, he had a sling in one hand, come on, and the head of Goliath in the other to God be the glory I want you to know you are saved you are called you have a divine purpose and if you've got an anointing you can accomplish the things that God's called you to do as Daryl joins me on the platform I'm cutting it short so that we can close today but I want to encourage you as a fellowship stir up come on somebody stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you agitate your anointing the reason why, I'll tell you this and I'll just be honest, just being transparent here in this house today about some of the, what I'm calling young men, they're not real young men, but some of these young guys that what, what I'm calling, which would be Jojo and Shane and Jace that are right here and, and, and Brent previously in this context. And as their anointing has grown in your life, let me tell you part of the reason why the anointing has grown in their life and we've all observed it and we've seen it and we're hearing it is number one, I've exhorted them, pray audibly. Stir it up. Get alone with God. When you're alone in prayer, now's not the time to be silent. Now's the time to open your mouth. Be verbal. Be expressive. Agitated. When I used to be a basketball player, I didn't wait for practice to practice. I went out on Saturdays. I went out in the evenings. I went out. I remember sweeping the snow off the basketball court so that I could go and practice. And so when you're praying, you're agitating and you're stirring up the gift that's inside you so that when opportunity is created, the gift will not have been neglected but the gift will be fresh and familiar. That's the conclusion to that story with David. David was then brought before Saul, before the battle. Saul, I love that verse. He said, Saul, don't let any man's heart fail because of the giant. I'll go. I got his number. I'll take him out. And so, all right, they said, we're going to go ahead and go. Sacrificial lamb, here you go. Think about that. Think about what was in the mind of Saul and his leaders when they said, all right, we're going to let you go. We're going to send a 17-year-old little boy, teenage boy, to fight a trained warrior. You're the sacrificial lamb. We'll just see what happens. And they put the cloak, they put the helmet, they put the sword and the shield of Saul on David. And David started walking out, clanging that armor. And the Bible says, King James English, he said, I cannot go with these he said, I cannot, he said, to go. Because he said, I have not proven these. And so he stripped them off. And he went to the thing that he had proven in practice and in prayer, which was a sling. He had an anointing to exercise the sling. Come on, somebody. He had seen it in the sheepfold. And he knew that if God could anoint him to kill a lion... And God could anoint him to kill a bear. 
then that Goliath was next in line to the power and the glory of God. See, you're going through a trial right now. You've been going through a crisis in your life right now. I don't know exactly where this may be the apex of challenges in your life. But if you'll look back, the individual things that have happened up until this moment have prepared you to be victorious in the moment that you're in right now. Or the thing you're going through right now, as you learn to yield and to wield and agitate and stir up the gift of God, could be preparing you for a day yet in your future, a day of destiny. That's why I can't dictate everything for you. That's between you and God. You've got to know yourself. Come on. You've got to know yourself. You've got to know your gifts. Know your callings. Seek after God. Find these things out. Stir up the anointing. Would you all stand up with me today? Let's pray. I want to ask every man, woman, boy, and girl that will, let's come to the, church, to the altar in closing prayer today. And I'm going to just pray with you and pray over you today in the name of Jesus. Some of you are going through great challenges and trials. Julie and, and, and Dylan are, are, are going to be, uh, their family has gotten larger through the trials.